Welcome to Show Me Your Mic. I'm your host, Chris Enns. Show Me Your Mic is the podcast where I talk to other podcasters about their podcasts. And we kind of explode in a circle of podcasting. For episode 37, I'm joined by Ashley Milntite. She is the host of The Broad Experience over at thebroadexperience.com, hosted also on the Real Radio Syndicate. And we talk in this episode about um, podcasting, women in podcasting. We talk about some of the techniques she uses for crafting a better story in her podcast aiming for a shorter podcast this one is an hour nowhere near short and just trying to talk about the craft of podcasting and see if we can elevate our game so enjoy the show welcome to the show ashley thanks very much yeah you're I don't know, your friend or a colleague or associate or just person on Twitter, Anna had tweeted to you and I follow her and somehow saw this exchange. I was like, oh, I should connect with this person who's on a lesser known podcast because I'm on a lesser known podcast. <laughs> there are many of us out there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, welcome to the show. You're you're based in New York, if I'm not I mistaken. Am. And uh, you're about 30 some, I think you're about the same actually, 30 some episodes into the broad experience as well, right? Just, I am, yes. I just released episode 34 um, uh, earlier this week. So I've got you by three. You have, yes. <laughs> but uh, yes, I'm a little more infrequent than you do on a bi-weekly schedule, if it sort of looks like. Yeah, ex- what, however you say every fortnight. Um, right. No one ever uses that word anymore, but uh, twice a month. So bi-monthly, I think, might be the correct way oh, right. to, yeah. to describe it. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I do... I have taken breaks because I, I just can't keep up with that schedule relentlessly. It's just too much. So I took a sort of six-week break sort of from the middle of December until fairly recently and then got back to that two-week schedule. And then in the summer, I was I didn't produce any shows in August last summer because I was teaching. And Mule's pretty good about allowing for your life. And since my show involves – it. it you know, it's not just me and somebody else. It involves me booking interviewees, guests. Often I'm interviewing them personally. And then I have to come back, go through all the tape and turn it into a sort of storytelling podcast. And that takes a long time. So it does get pretty relentless after a while. So you do need a break sometimes. I mean, I suppose if you had a team of people working with you, then it would be great. But I'm doing this all on my own on top of other work. So I have to step away from it sometimes or um i just couldn't keep it up yeah and that's i want to get into some of the producing aspects of your show in a minute um because it is it is a diff that a, a different style than what um i don't know i i, I struggle with whether it's traditional because who knows what traditional podcasting is at this point <laughs> i don't know yeah. if you've been around long enough to say what's traditional the i like to call it sort of the lazy men's lazy person's podcasting because it's kind of less editing less produced but and just kind of whatever ends up on the air ends up on the air but uh that's what's, I guess, beautiful about this medium right now is we're kind of all sorting it out as we go. Um, but going to, a bit to your background, um, which I'll, I'll have links to your full bio and stuff, obviously, uh, in the show notes, which you can find at sskTn.com slash, uh, sorry, show me your mic, and this will be episode 37, like I said. Um, but you were, you had mentioned in your bio, your dad was in radio with the BBC, and sort of your initial reaction was that radio wasn't cool, but TV was, and... You kind of <laughs> went, yep. came back to it later. What was your sort of introduction to working in radio uh, initially, in audio, I guess? So 
What happened was I moved to the States from London when I was 25 and I'd never really listened. I'd never put it this way. I'd never willingly listened to radio in the UK other than, of course, you know, music radio, which was what everyone listened to. But my parents would always have you know, BBC Radio 4 playing in the background when we were growing up, you know, news and these very serious voices. And, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was so boring. And it was just the, it was the background sound to our lives for years. And also sometimes my dad, when he was... He retired when I was quite young, but when he was working still at the World Service, he would have to listen to this particular current affairs program right in the middle of Sunday lunch. So the radio would sit there on the table and my brother and I I were not allowed to talk because he had to hear this vitally important radio program before he did, before he produced a show at some point later in the week. And so I basically resented radio, thought it was boring and had no intention of ever going into it. But then when I moved here to the US, I realized that everything they said about America was true in that you really don't get good news about the rest of the world. Okay, now I know there are a million cable channels, but at the time I wasn't exposed. I didn't have a TV. I was with a roommate. She had a TV. But what I what I found to watch on that, I just I thought was crap, basically. I didn't consider it real news compared to what I had grown up with. And so I did, and then I just kind of discovered US public radio by accident when I would come home late, as I used to do in those days. I would just fiddle with a dial while I was getting ready for bed. And I came across, you know, New York public radio and NPR. And I kind of, first of all, I was glad to find somewhere that reported on the rest of the world. But then as I as I began to listen to it, you know, all the time when I was at home over the next few years, I realized that it had it told wonderful stories. And I fell in love with that storytelling style. And it just became my the way I got my news. I mean, I still hardly ever watch television news. I went through a period of watching the BBC News when I had access to it on BBC America, but I don't anymore. So I get basically most of my information through my ears and I just kind of fell in love with the storytelling. You know, I mean, shows like This American Life that are listened to all around the world were seduced me. And then, but even the news stories. I mean, mm-hmm. it's amazing what you can do even in only a couple of minutes. I'm working on a story right now for one of the big public radio shows here. And it has to be two minutes, which kind of kills you on one hand. But it's also very challenging and very good for your writing to know how to have to put together a story, including three interviewees and various cuts in two minutes flat. So I just, I I thought I would like to do that. That's really cool. I wonder if I could do that for a living. And eventually, just before 9-11, on the eve of 9-11, I got on a plane to go back to London to do a three-month journalism course in London. And when I came back from that um, in early 2002, I started badgering my local public radio station to see if they would take me as an intern. And that is kind of what led to me then working in public radio on and off ever since was this internship that then led to another internship at a business show called Marketplace, which then led to me being a reporter there. So I basically learned everything I knew about doing radio stories at Marketplace. And of course, I began to listen to lots of podcasts over the years. But um, yeah, so I basically got to, I wanted to tell stories on the radio and I eventually got to do that. And it all started with me seeking out news about the rest of the world and then falling in love with the storytelling. Interesting. So now I'm going to have to go back. That was about four, just when you said two minutes, there's a, there's about four or, five, four or five minute dialogue there. 
they'll have to go back and edit down to <laughs> to, to make chop into a two minute story, right? Is the <laughs> That's right. You're no. going to have to. You can practice your editing skills yeah. by doing that. <laughs> Which it's funny when you say, um, you know, coming to America and being sort of uh, entranced with the shows like This American Life, which I I appreciate now too. But um, I know for me, listening to shows that I hear from the BBC and and across the pond, which is you know, it's the the new the different accent and everything. I think that just lends it to being foreign and more exciting and stuff. And so I hear that and, and obviously your accent now too but um and it that seems exciting to me in the the stuff here like i'm up in canada and so we have lots of r- good public radio as well that, that uh, is similar to uh down what you have in the states and uh but yeah the the british stuff is always kind of interesting and um mm. exciting as well but yeah it's just what you what you know is familiar and less less uh intriguing i guess and so yeah that's where it comes from but um as, and so as an intern, you sort of started into the radio and, and, uh, and where did you make the transition to doing something on your own, a podcast that would, uh, be your own thing as opposed to, you know, which obviously you're still doing filing news reports and, and audio pieces for, for radio, but, um, what was the impact? The- so what happened was in, I sort of went freelance in 2010 and in 2011, I found out about this course at uh, CUNY, the City University of New York, in entrepreneurial journalism. And I didn't really know what that meant, to be honest. I sort of, I, it's run by Jeff Jarvis, who I don't know if you follow him or, right. or know yeah. him. You know, he's a big media guru. And I had interviewed him a bunch of times for my stories for Marketplace, the business show that I worked for. But I'd never actually met him. But he ran this course at CUNY. So I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And I... I looked into it and I thought, well, as a, I just felt that as a freelancer, any bit of help that I could get was probably worth investing in. And it wasn't too expensive and it was right here and it was just for one term, one semester. And so I thought, okay, I'll apply. And I was interviewed and I got in. But when I got there, I realized that they were very serious about everybody launching a media business while we were there. I mean, I'd sort of known this, but for some reason, I don't know why my brain just didn't really take it seriously. <laughs> I thought, well, I won't really have to actually launch a project, will I? And and But it no, they were very serious about it. So, of course, I knew I was going to do something audio related because that's my passion. And, you know, it was going to be a podcast. And... So, and, and I'd done a lot of stories when I was at Marketplace, or you know, not a lot, but a, a hand, my favorite feature stories had ended up being about some aspect of women's lives. And I don't know why I started reporting those stories. It, it wasn't because I had a particular interest in it, because at the time I didn't. But I started doing these stories, and I felt I, I learned something really interesting and intriguing every time I did these stories and started thinking about the different things that men and women face at work and and just the way they handle money, all these things I I began to find really interesting. And so I decided when I was at CUNY, they they said, you have to be really specific and niche in what you're going to launch. So I thought, well, why don't I focus um, this? I knew I wanted the show to be about some aspect of women's lives, not lifestyle, because I just don't care. So I knew it was going to have to be something sort of serious, but something I found juicy and worthy of reporting and um, interesting to others. And I figured women in the workplace, I did all my research. I knew that the vast majority of women worked. I knew that, you know, women are increasingly educated. 
educated people download podcasts, all those things. So I focused the show on women in the workplace. And this was long before I knew that, you know, Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg was going to write this tome called Lean In that would sort of bring the masses to the cause. But I'm glad she has. Of course, I would love to ride on her coattails in some way. But um, yeah, so that's how it started. It kind of started at CUNY. And then I, I enjoyed doing it so much that I just carried on with it afterwards. And so the, I'm curious about um, what you would learn. And maybe, I guess, it's, I understand it's not just that you were learning specifically about podcasting and stuff. It was more journalism and digital journalism and things like that. But as it relates to, because often podcasters like myself are kind of, this is a hobby and this is just a thing we do. And I haven't, I don't have any journalism training, which, you know, long-time listeners probably are very <laughs> well aware of. But um, the, that, there's lots of stuff online, you know, like podcastingschool.com and whatever, all the different sites that gurus, supposed gurus and stuff and buy my courses and all that kind of stuff. But in the more traditional school training education world, what kind of stuff did you take away from that as it relates to podcasting that maybe others like myself could could benefit from? Uh, well, I, I hate to tell you, I learned nothing about podcasting. Okay. <laughs> On that course. Um, no, I mean, the, the, that, that course was specifically about really sort of mostly digital journalism and then how do you make a business out oh, of this okay. project that you want to do. It was yeah. about how, how do you become a media entrepreneur. I'm completely self-taught when it comes to podcasting. I had never – I was used to working in a newsroom where a team of union engineers mixed my stories. I mean, I never mixed my own pieces. I would record my tracks. I would – send my, um, you know, actualities down the ISDN line to LA where the show was made. And that would be it. It would be done. It would be magically mixed and air half an hour later, but it wasn't done by me. Uh, so I had never put anything together myself until I produced that first podcast. Nice. So I'm afraid I can't tell you anything <laughs> useful because I'm completely self-taught. Well, then I guess, uh, more from the, uh, uh, the storytelling aspect of it, I guess, which um, maybe I'll get into that in a minute because I'll, I'll, we'll cover just some of the uh, the gear stuff that people often ask about with podcasting. And I like to, I think sometimes they tune into this show just to hear about mixers and mics and whatever. And then I only end up spending two minutes or less on that part. So I just want to make sure I cover it off anyway because <laughs> I know it's often what people are wondering about. So what sure. in, in your, uh, your, you're at a home office right now, it sounds like, or what you described and, and you have set up there and then you also do a bit of recording i know some of your shows you have sort of group settings and, and things like that where you've interviewed a bunch of people at the same time what kind of gear do you use to facilitate all that variety of different spaces sure well i think my answer is going to be very different from the the vast majority of people you talk to because i'm not a gear geek at all i'm i'm come kicking and screaming into <laughs> a world that requires technology and gear just because i happen to love audio storytelling and oh god it involved gear so i had to i had to get used to that you know i'm i am so not technical naturally so it's been a good baptism of fire for me so i mean basically i've always owned my own digital recorders because um you know, for about 10 years, you know, when I stopped interning, I said to the the engineer at WMYC, the local public radio station, so what microphone should I buy? And he said, well, you know, the Shure SM58 is really hardy and it's only about $100. Why don't you start with that? I've been using that microphone ever since for all my interviews. It's a bit battered now. But um, so that that's the mic I use. And then I now have, you know, I started using mini disc recorders back in the day. Um, right. And now I have... 
a Marantz PMD 660, you know, digital recorder, which is like a brick. It's annoyingly brick-like. I wish it was smaller because <laughs> the mini discs were so beautifully small. And like, as a girl, I can put it in my handbag. You know, I can put it in my purse and take it somewhere. Right, yeah. when, you, when you live in New York City, I think unlike a lot of my fellow audio reporters who live in other parts of the country, they can drive to their assignments. They can drive to interview people. I am never driving anywhere. So everything has to be it has to go in my purse or in another bag on my back. So I like light equipment and I feel very sad at the death of the mini disc recorder for that reason. But um, as well as my brick-like Marantz, I have, I'm looking at a little Olympus LS10 handheld recorder, which sort of looks like Mickey Mouse because it has these two little built-in mics and they have these, um, it has the little windsock thingies on top. And I love this recorder. They don't make it anymore. They, they've, they've made another one, a more recent iteration that apparently um, isn't as good. I don't know if you know, there's a great site and it's really designed for people, for radio people, but it's called The Transom, transom.org, which has fantastic gear reviews, actually. Some people listening might want to know about that. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a great site for anyone wanting to... Um, you know, consider this stuff. I mean, it's it's primarily designed for reporters and people who are going out into the field, but I still think it's it's very useful, even if you are doing stuff from home. That's T R so, sorry T R A N S T R A N S O M dot O R G. So basically, you know, I have these two recorders and I, when I'm feeling when I'm gonna be running around all day in say Manhattan on the subway, I don't want I I and I don't want to carry that brick around with me because it's so heavy, then I'll take the Olympus and I haven't been using an external mic with it. I, will, I think the internal mics are great. And when you're just doing a one-on-one -on -one interview, you don't need the, you don't need the external mic. It's not like I'm going to the zoo and I need to get the sound of, you know, the elephant breathing or something. So this thing is fine. Um, but I, I, um, with the Marantz, I, you know, I always use it with the Shaw mic. I just got an RE50 mic, which is really, really common in audio news world. I thought after 10 or 11 years, I should really expand my repertoire. And um, I don't have a shotgun mic or any other fancy mics because I haven't really needed one, but I think I'm going to expand again. So really what I'm doing is I'm physically meeting people and interviewing them with my gear. When I interview people remotely, I try and avoid Skype. Um, I mean, this sounds really good, but when I, I'm using a mic, I take it you're using a mic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had an interviewee recently and she was in the UK and Skype just seemed like the best way to do it. I mean, the sound quality is okay. It, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't come in and out or any of the things that sometimes happen with Skype, but she didn't have, she just had the mic on her, on her, you know, machine. So it just, uh, it sounded like Skype. Yeah. Um, and I, again, because I've been sort of raised in this public radio world, they're very strict about sound and we were, you're sort of not allowed to use phone tape for a lot of your stories. It has to be a deadline story to, to, for them to let you, you, you know, just tape someone who's on a phone. And of course, it's, the quality is even worse when it's a cell phone and so many people now don't even have landlines. So it's kind of destroying audio quality across the board. But um I have been recently, it's been brilliant. I just did an interview like this yesterday. If the person has an iPhone, I just get them to tape themselves on the voice memo app on their iPhone. So I call them on a landline or on another phone, a cell, whatever. So they're holding, what, they're holding a landline up to one ear. They're holding their iPhone up to the other ear. And they're just hitting record on the voice memo app. 
and um and after, and unfortunately you can't you can't talk and talk and talk on the voice memo app on the iPhone you have to hit stop before about 7 minutes because the phone refuses to email files that are longer than that so i use a stopwatch and after about 6 minutes i'll say hey let's stop that file could you just hit done we'll start another file and the quality for most listeners they couldn't tell that it wasn't studio sound nice. it's really good that's a good little hack yeah yep so that's what I've been doing recently because, the pub, to be honest, the public radio shows are doing that now. Increasingly, they don't want to spend money to send a, a guest in a remote part of the country to a local studio because they have to pay for the rental of that studio. So now the first question they want to know is, does the guest have an iPhone? And if they do, they get the, they get the guest to tape themselves, either using the voice memo app or depending on um, – Depending on the show, they may have a fancier method. They may get them to download a specific app, which they can then directly upload to that show's own server. Um, it kind of depends who you're doing the work for. But obviously, little old me, just wanting really good sound, I, I'll, I'll ask the person if they have an iPhone. If they don't, um, I've, I've been looking, actually, I've been, I had a shout out to a radio group I'm with saying, what apps do you use to get good sound when somebody's in another part of the country? So there are other apps the android built um i don't have an android phone but i got um a potential guest to send me some test audio of her taping herself on the app that the android phone comes with you know i mean ostensibly it's just meant to kind of help you in conferences and meetings get capture some sound just wasn't as good it just was not it was notably Hmm. inferior to the sound of the voice memo app that comes with the iphone so well you're also sort of at the whim of uh whatever Android device they may have, whereas iPhone, at least you're, you know, there's four models or whatever that they might have. And generally the mic will be decent to, to yeah. good where their yeah, Android could be exactly. just about anything, I guess. Yeah. So that's, so that's been, yeah, as you say, that's the little hack that I've been using lately. Um, but I don't have any, I don't have a mixing board. I mean, I don't have any of this stuff that I bet most of your listeners have. Well, or most of maybe many, many of the listeners are are lusting after anyways. One of the one of the two. They're in two camps. Either they've they're like me and they've spent way too much money on a fancy mixer that there's no way they're going to get enough money back to pay for, other than mm-hmm. it's a fun hobby. Or or they're lusting after some sort of fancy mixer that they will in in turn then not really make enough money to justify <laughs> right. having. But it's a fun hobby, and that's why we do this. Um, yeah, the, uh, there's a few different places. So you're editing then on your on your computer, Mac. Yeah, or PC. I use um, Adobe Audition okay. audio yep. software. Yeah. And um, when you're uh, one thing I was going to mention, just for folks who are listening, there's a couple of apps that might be of interest. I've I just started uh, my own little daily podcast show thing, just you know, audio journal almost kind of thing, and was exploring some of this, you know, using an iPhone to record myself more or less, and without. You know, trying to be quick and easy without all the extra gear and whatever that I normally, um, whatever, require, I guess, or whatever the word is for myself. But um, one of them is Dropbox. So instead of Dropbox, it's Dropbox. And it sort of combines those two services where it's an app that allows you to you record audio into it, but then it saves it to your Dropbox. So in your case with a guest, explaining mm. Dropbox may or may not be a good, <laughs> an easy process. Sometimes it's they already have it. They know very aware of what it is. Wouldn't be a problem. And then you could record quite large. Apparently, with it, I've I haven't used it that much myself yet. But um, that's one. And then it does. It's not free. It's dollar ninety nine, uh, a couple bucks. But um, and the other one is this uh, new service slash app called 
Ophonic, I think is how you say it, A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. Similar thing where they have a iOS and Android app that you record into. But what's nice about this is um, it then sends it off, if you want to, you don't have to use this, but it sends it to their service, their site for audio post-production, and then it can then put a, sort of pump that file out to numerous different places. Again, Dropbox to a FTP site to a web server to uh, what else? YouTube, all that kind of stuff. So it kind of can enable um, it to take care of that kind of stuff for you as well. Or you could just have it send you the file again. So for folks who are looking for other things that are out there, that's another neat little service I've came come across that could work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you're uh, you're hosting through uh, with Mule. I don't know the exact arrangement how this works, but you know they presume they t- they have their site. You have your site for as well the broadexperience.com. dot um, And just is there a decision in having your own site as well as the Mule site? And sort of again, whether it's traditional or whatever, the, exp- the experience I've noticed is often if it's hosted in one place, people just tend to leave it there. But you sort of have both worlds going and. Is that somewhat intentional or is it just kind of the way it ended up? What was the no, very intentional. Well, so I only jo- I joined Mule about a year ago. So I think it was actually February of 2013. But I made my first podcast. I, I want to say it was the very end of March 2012. That when I was, I was still a student at CUNY and this, you know, it was my professor who said, well, you have to make a, um, you know, what, what's it called? Not a prototype. I, ca- I can't remember the word. But anyway... You have to make um, an example episode because... Oh, like gonna... a pilot or something. Or exactly. A, right, yeah. And because potential, we had to present in front of potential investors at the end of the semester. And he's like, <laughs> you've got to have something to show people, even if you only play a tiny excerpt, they need to have something that they can go and assess your content. So I kind of, um, I did it rather unwillingly, I have to say, because I just had so much work to do already. And, and it was just that thing of being scared, you know. I mean, I, I do this show in part because I exemplify a lot of these problems, which I think women suffer from, which is, you know, some of them are confidence related. But And it's why there are so few women podcasters compared to men. Women don't think that we can do this. We don't give ourselves permission to just go out there and do something like this. So that being on that CUNY entrepreneurial course was very helpful for me from that perspective. But um, so of course, initially it was just me on my own. So of course I had to have a website where the show lived. And so when I joined Mule, um, there was never a question of my website going away. But but also, you know, this is my brand. I mean, it's I, and I want it to be, and I'm growing it, and I I want this eventually to really pay me properly. I mean, for me, this isn't this is something. Yes, it is something that I'm doing on the side. But I think there's definitely a market for the content. So I need to part of the another reason that I keep the website sort of alive with is written content. I don't just post a show there every fortnight because I know that wouldn't be enough to keep people coming to the site. So I also, um, I also blog, I mean, not, you know, not as regularly as I should, cause I just don't have time, but I keep, I want to keep sending people to the site and having people go to the site. And I know that you can't just have audio sitting there for two weeks to get people to do that. Most people are not going to listen to it from the site. They're going to listen to it by downloading it from iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. So I keep the site to send people to, um, because it's my brand. I, I, it's my baby. I birthed it. I, the whole thing was my idea and I want people to be going to the, the brand name site, the broad experience rather than to mule, um, 
to sort of get an idea of the content. Because of course, you know, if you want, if you're introducing the show to somebody who's never heard of it, you, it's, a, it's great to just be able to send them to the website where they can read all about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, it's, it's kind of like in, uh, in TV, and I, I would imagine within, I don't know all the behind the scenes stuff in radio, but this, the idea of syndication where, you know, it's played in one place, but it can also be played in other places, and the, the file itself is, looks like it's stored on SoundCloud or whatever, and so it's yeah. still getting played no matter where it's actually pasted onto some web page or whatever. I could paste it on my page for, on my own blog or whatever, if somebody wanted to play it there too, and, and you still get the plays and uh, exactly. tracking all that kind of stuff for, for numbers. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something I'm, I'm curious about. Um, and also, but I think it's something that more podcasters should be in, I guess, encouraged or investigating, I guess, just to get their content out there and not be sort of beholden to high, hang on to it so tightly, but, but while still maintaining their brand, like you said, uh, and their, their home base almost on the web so that people, because I mean, Mule is, is great, but it could, they could decide that they want to shut it down because it's not doing something they want it and and then you'd be left sort of hanging so at least this way you've got your Mm. your home base so exactly (laughs) not that those i know those folks over there are doing great work and stuff but uh yeah i don't think they're planning to do anything no (laughs) (laughs) no and it's it it's such an interesting time with podcasting it's just seems to be each time i think we've sort of plateaued you know and okay now we'll see the drop off in terms of this sort of uh hobby thing that's kind of growing and getting bigger and bigger and more people doing it and then someone else jumps on board and kind of rides another wave and uh keeps just growing so it's great um and you brought up an interesting point that uh something that i've sort of struggled with i guess or i don't know if struggle is the right word but um in finding women to interview for this show because there isn't a lot and i was gonna before i was gonna look just through itunes and see what you know as far as featured and and stuff that apple does uh, in their podcast directory of women versus men versus whatever you know uh in terms of listing and stuff like that and um and it's tough to know whether it's just what i happen to be seeing in in my circles and gravitate towards is that the case or if it's uh, just in general and like what you said it seems to be more of a, a general uh issue of of women either not wanting to or feeling like they they shouldn't or can't get into mm-hmm. podcasting um and what do you see as sort of the i guess in your conversations with on your show but also just in your attempts to get get the show going what what do you see as things that are sort of helpful and um ways of encouraging women to get into this fun what i consider anyways a fun medium and a fun thing to do yeah, I mean, there's actually a great article on this that um, on that site I mentioned, Transom, that probably went up about a year ago or last spring, somewhere, you know, somewhere within the last kind of nine to 12 months and asking this very question, why are there so few women podcasters? And because um, I had actually blogged about this at my my other site, my regular, the site that's just my name, where all my work is posted when I've had something published because I was giving a talk at a local college here about women in radio and podcasting. And I decided I'm going to go on iTunes and just see how many shows are hosted by a woman versus a man. And I, I did go through all the 200 top ones. <laughs> and it was honestly, depending on the day, because of course it changes, but yeah. depending on the day, one day it was as few as five, another I counted 15. But even 15, that's still tiny out of 200 um, but all, when, you, when it comes to iTunes, you, I mean, as everyone knows, the shows that tend to make it onto iTunes, 
they're, they're, they're shows, they're CBC shows, they're NPR shows. They tend to be shows that are actually radio shows that are also popular podcasts, which isn't the same as an indie, you know, like myself producing a show out of her closet and her living room. <laughs> yeah. So uh, those people, I mean, God, you'd be incredibly lucky to make it into the top 200 at all if you're, you know, if you're an independent because nobody knows you exist. Um, I think, but, but there is overlap between women as hosts of radio programs and women as podcasters. I, I don't know what it's like at the CBC because I have not done, I have not checked CBC statistics, but I know all the shows here and I, and I did a count and there are fewer, there were always few, fewer women hosts of shows too. Co-hosts, sure. You get a guy and a woman co-hosting together, but there are far fewer lone female hosts of shows than there are male, lone male hosts of shows. Um, and when it, you know, when it comes to women doing the, you know, wanting to go off and start a podcast, I can tell you, I would never have done this if I hadn't gone and done that entrepreneurial journalism course and had a professor saying, you have to make a pilot. Come on, you've got to, you've got to put this together. You've got to have something to show for yourself. I would have used all the usual excuses like, oh, well, but I'm not a, I'm not a host. I'm a reporter. I just go out and report and then I come back and put it together and I don't, I don't know how to podcast. I've never done that before. All these things that, that I think come far more to women's minds because women just in general still have a much lower level of confidence than guys. A guy will just think, I'll go out and do that, of course. Why not? Whereas a woman will think of 10 reasons why she shouldn't do that thing and why she's not good enough to do that thing. And I think that's a major reason. So the only way to get more people to do it is, of course, to you know, to kind of talk about it and be encouraging and say, why not try it? Just try one and see how it goes and see how you like it. Because for me, making that first show and realizing, oh, yes, I can do this. All the experience I I have as an audio reporter is standing me in good stead was incredibly helpful. Um, And I'm actually helping somebody at the moment, a woman I met who read about the podcast in The Guardian. She's a journalist, but she has no audio experience, but she really wants to start a podcast. So I'm sort of consulting with her for a little bit to get her comfortable with audio as a medium so that she can go off and start her own show. So I think, honestly, it's making people, it's telling women, why not? Just have the same attitude as a guy. Why not try it? See how it goes. See how much you enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, you know, in, in I'm in a bit of the sort of the tech nerd circles that uh, in terms of the podcast I listen to, I tend to gravitate towards those besides some of the usual, like This American Life and, and a few, you know, shows like that. But, and it is fairly male dominated, but whenever there's a woman on the show, it's not like a, a reaction of like, what is this woman doing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> talking about tell you, it's, to me, it's yeah. a, ref- a fresh take. Like, I'm tired of, frankly, of, of guys talking about gear and and stuff and it's it's nice to have a a different view on on some of that stuff and uh and yeah even looking at just when you mentioned cbc i was just looking through the the radio site and there's there is a few key shows that we have like i'm just thinking throughout the day that i listen to and uh the current with anna maria toronto and and a few of the the shows that we have that are would be woman woman led uh what's the word yeah not an answer but spark i've just come across a tech show which i'm really enjoying yeah and that's to me that's the sort of the what's the word uh a good show to point to because it's it's kind of in that both in the audio uh podcasty kind of space but also in news uh, but also tech too which is two areas that like you said are kind of underrepresented but she's uh 
uh, and I'm drawing a blank on her name right now. Um, but, Nora Young. Yes, Nora Young does such a great job with that show, and um, mm-hmm. and is well worth listening to for any number of reasons, not just because it's a woman leading the show, obviously. Yeah, I know that shouldn't matter, but no. it is. It is. I mean, I never noticed that most of the shows I was listening to were hosted by guys. I honestly never noticed. And even when I got interested in this topic, I still didn't notice until someone else brought it to my attention and said, I'd, you know, I'd like you to talk about this when you come and give your talk. And I thought, oh, really? Are there, are there more shows hosted by men? And then I started to notice it. And the thing is, I mean, this is, you know, anyone who works in this kind of arena of gender, I hate the word gender, but I will say it. Um, You know, you know that, you know, as a society for millennia, everything has come from men. So we're used to hearing men being, you know, the voice of authority and women are just as used to it as guys are. So you don't even notice when most of your audio or, you know, stuff you see on TV is coming from guys because you're used to guys being the one that tell you things. Um, so when I, I, I'm, I'm much more cognizant of it now and I really enjoy it when I, when I hear a woman hosting a show, because I'm noticing just the different take that comes from that. Um, I notice the same thing when I watch, you know, these comedies, some of these American comedies now that are written by and starring women like Mindy Kaling, you know, who used to be in the office. I really notice the different themes that come up and you didn't notice them before because just every show you were watching was created and written by by guys or or by a a team that involved men and women. And I'm just noticing more now when I watch these comedies that are written by women that I'm getting just different types of stories and that I didn't even realize I was missing, you know, because you don't know what you're missing until you until you actually see an alternate version. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting, which is uh just the humor thing that you you brought up was just just to point to people on the, was it the most recent episode I was listening to a few random episodes of the of your show the broad experience and oh yeah it was episode thirty four making them laugh and sort of women and men and humor in the office and and uh, the discussion that um, you had with Judith Judith Baxter right yeah, mm-hmm. yeah just pulling it up here um, which yeah not we don't have to go into a long discussion just to point listeners to that as a, an example of something that you were talking about on your show that's come somewhat related to this. Um, and uh, where, how do you go about in producing your show? I want to get into some of the, um, just the aspects like you alluded to of, you know, a 15-minute sort of time limit roughly that you've imposed on yourself, sometimes 10 minutes, you know. Um, mm. uh, what? How, what's the process like? So you have a conversation, you know, you and I are having this conversation, let's say, and pretend that the roles are reversed and you're the host. Now you're going to take this back and edit this. And we're at, you know, 40 minutes now um, and sort of putting you on the spot, I guess, because it wasn't that you were prepared to, <laughs> you haven't been thinking maybe in the mm-hmm. same way that you normally would. But what would you do with this then that to help sort of shape it into a 15 minute or 10 minute or whatever kind of story? So with something like this, it's a conversation. This would be in public radio. We call this a two-way. Um, and if I so if so, say we were to stop at forty minutes, and I have edited down these conversations. Um, it's a question of going through. And first of all, what I always do with all my interviews, and what I would do with this, is I log the whole thing, which is so tedious. But it also so I'm I'm listening and I'm typing and I'm I'm, I'm basically making notes and, and time markers of our entire conversation. So at the end, I'm looking at it and I go through with red highlighter on my screen the best, the juiciest bits. I go, loved it when he said that. Eh, that was a bit eh, boring. We don't need that. I kind of said that twice. I said that in three places. We'll just use one. That's what you do. And 
again, the reason I edit down so much, I think, compared to a lot of podcasters is just because I come from this different background, which is being a radio producer where you have a very strict time limit on what you can produce. You know, in the show I, I worked for and learned so much from is basically half an hour. But, you know, with sponsor announcements, you're talking about I should know this, but you're talking closer to 25 minutes of actual story airtime. So the story you're producing for that show, I just filed one yesterday three minutes plus a sort of 25 second intro. So I'm used to having to tell a story in such a short time that for me, having a heady 15 minutes, I mean, it it feels luxurious to me. So I use the same rules that I use as a radio producer, which is I I get back from the interview, I log the tape, I go through going, "Mm, that was really juicy. I know I want to use that. that, I could kind of say that better than her there. And you end up with the best cuts, you know, what I consider like the juiciest cuts, the ones that are going to make people smile or make them laugh or make them furious. And you, you work from there. That's how I build my show. I, I transcribe the, the cuts I want to use and then I build my narration around that. And I just I just feel that there's so much unedited stuff out there and I'm so used to editing. And as I said, the luxury to me of having 15 or 20 minutes to talk about something <laughs> feels like plenty compared to three minutes. And so and, and I, I, from the very get-go, I got good feedback from people on the length. The first show I ever produced was 10 minutes. Admittedly, I'd intended to produce a show that was longer to half an hour. But people said, oh, I love the length. I love that it's so short. And as, a, as someone who downloads, gosh, maybe 15 or more podcasts you know, a week, do I listen to them all in a timely manner? No. I the first ones I go for are the ones that are shorter because I know I'll listen to them. Unfortunately, I mean I hate to admit this, but I don't listen to this American Life that much anymore because it's a whole hour. I don't have time. I don't have time in my life to listen to the to listen to that much audio. So the ones that I gravitate to are shorter, and then if I have time, I'll listen to the longer shows. So yeah, and I think I, I mean, there's a there's a whole generally anytime this gets brought up within the podcasting circles that I discuss this in, you know, there's the well, we just want to have a conversation and people are tuning in anyway, so who cares? Just they'll listen. If they don't like it, then they can tune out, and you know that that argument or discussion happens. But um, I feel like even with uh, the few episodes that I was able to listen to of your show, that it kind of left me wanting to hear more, which. At first, oh, it was good. well. Yeah, <laughs> well, sorry. In Unless general, annoyed that I yeah. stopped early. <laughs> it's better than if I, yeah, I, I decide I don't want to ever hear this again and cancel their interview or something. <laughs> but the no, the even about the topics is kind of like it left me wanting to hear more about the topic too, and um, and so it, which I feel like most of the podcasts that I end up listening, it sort of made me reflect on most of the podcasts I listen to. I get to the end, I'm kind of like, oh, phew, I'm done. And there's good conversation in there, but I'm not like, I don't need more of it at this point. And um, and I think we can all learn from that, myself especially. Uh, but I, I know I'm lazy when it comes to that. Uh, that editing muscle, I guess, doesn't get worked enough. It's just enough. so much work. But it is it is a tremendous amount of work. I mean, I don't blame you if you're not used to doing it. And, you know, the reason I do it is just because that is what I've grown up in the radio world doing just ruthless ruthless editing and I also teach in the summer at Columbia Journalism School I teach this sort of radio boot camp and I tell the you know the students that you've got to kill your babies you've got to only keep the very juiciest stuff and you have to get rid of everything else because people have really short attention spans 
Um, and you, I mean, I know you argue that with a podcast, oh, but you're, you know, the person may be driving and they've got you in your ears and they've got the time to get into it. But um, I don't know, just coming from the media world where getting people's attention is so hard and then keeping their att- people's, you know, keeping their attention on what they're reading or listening to, it's such a part of my makeup that I can't stay away from the editing. And to me, letting someone ramble on for one and a half minutes is just <laughs> so exciting. So, um, you know, because my editor will be going, oh, 15 seconds, 15 seconds too long, make it 13, cut to 11. I know that's going to happen later today when I do an edit for my other story. I know that he's going to be like, yeah, it was kind of boring. Can you cut that 11 seconds to like eight? It's 11 seconds. Wow. But that is what happens when you're filing a story that is only meant to be two minutes long. Yeah. And that's, I think it would be such an interesting experience as a, even as professional a podcaster as there are out there. I don't know, like in my world, say a Dan Benjamin, a Leo Laporte, those are some of the people that I have looked to in my career or whatever, not career, in my hobby. I don't know. What, anyways. But, and to yeah. have them submit a show that they do regularly, which, I mean, again, you know, they're quote unquote, you can't see my air quotes, popular and generating income and whatever. So good for them. But just in yeah. terms of that spirit of journalism and storytelling, to submit a story, quote unquote, whatever that looks like, in to an editor and see what happens, an audio editor, I guess, or what is that the right? vernacular i don't know if that's the right term for yeah just uh, you know just an editor but right. yeah they're working at a radio show yeah it would be a, such an interesting to me anyways an interesting um experience i guess to, to hear and to get feedback on on something like this you know you and i having this discussion because i have like you said before with even with men women things with audio podcasting it's kind of what i've heard all the time has been tradition just more like 45 minutes to an hour discussion you know, it rambles a bit here and there like I'm doing right now and, and then, but it's, you know, overall good or whatever. And, and so that's kind of what I replicate in my own experience. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, always searching for ways to improve and get better. And so, and like I said, flex that creative muscle when it comes to audio. Mm. Um, something I, I would, I'm curious about, I guess with, I had mentioned, you'd mentioned the Columbia journalism school where you teach uh, a boot camp. Um, is that something that's, is so podcasters or people in audio out there who are listening, is that something they could look into or what's the, hmm. well, if they want to part with about 60 grand us, okay. then they're more than welcome to look into it. <laughs> I mean, this is graduate school. This oh, is okay, Columbia yeah. journalism school, which is, you know, a grad grad school. And, um, it ain't cheap. Right. I can tell you that. <laughs> and I don't know what it's going to cost this year, but I know that it's really expensive. So, <laughs> so it's really, you know, I think it, it's considered one of the top three and perhaps it is now considered the top journalism school in the, in the U S that and, and Berkeley on the West coast. So people who want to go there are pretty serious about becoming right. journalists and, and actually the audio boot camp, they're forced to do it whether or not they want to, whether or not they've even considered um, radio or audio um, so sometimes, you know, you get people who are either used to writing for print or just have no interest in audio and think it's uncool like I did. And it's really fun talking to them and teaching them how fun, I mean, how, how much you can learn and how just experimenting with audio takes you to a completely different place and you can do things you could never do with print writing. And often they get completely converted and it's great to see that at the end because, it's so creative. That's why I like it so much because you can be so creative with your storytelling. But yeah, it, it, it is not, it's quite the investment. So <laughs> do consider that before applying. Right. 
<laughs> and so I guess failing that, then something like the the site you'd mentioned maybe would be. Uh, is there other sites you'd you'd recommend as far as just you know in uh, reading and and sort of learning a bit more about the craft of of uh, storytelling and journalism and podcasting. Um, anything that you have, if you, and if you don't have something off the top of your head, you can email me or whatever later too. That something that comes up, and I can put it in the show notes. But I hate to put so you it's the interesting. Spot. Well, the, actually, the it's the same site that I mentioned, transom dot org. It's funny you should ask this because I've just started working with this a journalist, but she's never touched audio who wants to start a podcast from scratch. And she was asking for things to read. And I gave her the same thing because I looked online. And honestly, I mean, you may even have have interviewed some of these people, you know, the podcast man or the podcast answer man. I'm completely forgetting his first name, which is terrible. Cliff, yeah. Cliff, Ravenscroft. Yeah, yeah. Ravenscraft. So, you know, he has a course out there, maybe, you know, which you probably know is kind of two grand. And it's a different kind of podcasting than what I do. It, it is much more people sitting at home and the ability to interview somebody remotely. But she wants to learn more of a storytelling edited type of podcast. So I said, really, the only the only resource that I'm aware of that is the transom. Uh, and it's a great site because not only do they have these extremely useful gear reviews, but they also have, um, you know, pieces and interviews with people about what do you do if you're filing from home? You know, what's the best uh, circumstance if you don't have a studio? Do you do it in your clothes closet, which is what I do? Do you buy a special little booth to put around your head? You know, stuff like that. And they also talk about storytelling. So, I think it's a a great resource for people who want to know more about this type of audio and podcasting and storytelling. Um, I mean, you can probably find stuff just by Googling. I mean, I know Ira Glass, who hosts This American Life, he has definitely talked about this kind of thing before. And you can probably, you can, you can probably find some of his talks just by Googling. Like he did a talk on Reddit. I wonder if that's available. That was very popular. That was really interesting, but he's probably also been interviewed and um, you can, I, I, I would think some of that stuff would be really easy to find just by like doing Ira Glass interview in Google. Yeah, certainly. That's uh, definitely, I was just trying to find, there was a, a comic book he put out, uh, how to make radio? Yeah, I just found. Okay. I'll put a, a link here, which it's at thisamericanlife.org/slash/about/slash/make-radio. But I'll put a link in the show notes too, so that uh, people can find it later. Uh, but it, yeah, it's um, it's kind of an illustrated comic book of how he puts mm-hmm. together a story, I guess, or they put together a story um, for this American life. So interesting, little different kind of resource. And yeah, that's the, the podcast answer man, Cliff. Uh, there's to me, and again, maybe it's just my worldview of what I see on the web plenty of that kind of stuff but not as much yeah like the storytelling the almost crafting uh, yeah yeah and i yeah definitely like that idea of okay let's let's try and elevate this a bit not in a pretentious way but just like yeah we can try and do different things with this medium and i think that'll come because it's it like i said i feel like it's getting fairly watered down with an hour of of debate over apple's latest iphone or whatever which right. is fine but yeah um uh, and i'm guilty of that as well so as I'm going to be recording a show this afternoon that we do some of that kind of stuff and it's all fun. But um, in in closing up here as I uh, come to the end of my hour, my luxurious 60 minutes of discussion, (laughs) (laughs) hopefully people have stuck around. Uh, One thing I do ask all I guess is the podcast that you listen to and then also what what app, device, you know, medium are you, where are you listening to them 
these days. And so I don't know if you have your podcast player. Well, now you're going to, you're making me go there because I don't want to leave anything out because I, I, um, (laughs) it's a little bit fluid, you know, because sometimes I try things and then, um, and then I decide maybe it's not so worth it. But um, one um, other podcast, an an indie podcast that I, I think is really interesting is called Authentic South. Um, and if you, if you're interested in, you know, obviously Southern American culture, it's great music. And again, it's pretty short. It's sort of like mine. He's also, he comes from a sort of multimedia background. He's a journalist, uh, this guy called Tanner Latham. And uh, he has what I think is a great show about sort of Southern culture. It's a sort of combination of interviews and sometimes music. And it's always, you know, under 15 minutes, I would say. So that's definitely one that, um, that I recommend. Um, and then I listen to, you know, I love Spark from CBC. That's one of my new favorite podcasts. I also listen to another CBC show, Under the Influence. Do you listen to that? Yeah. Terry Riley's podcast about yeah. marketing. I think that's really interesting. I mean, you know, I'm not some of the, some of the, um, um, I'm not always interested in all the topics, but I think it's, a, I think it's, a, again, talk about well-produced. I mean, he has a whole team of people helping yeah. him. But, um, so that's one of the ones I really like when that's on. Um, um, I listen to, um, I have this American life. I have to say, I don't always get to it now because as I mentioned, the length is really, um, you know, um, something that sort of defeats me a little bit, but um there, let me just look now. Um, I listen to Planet Money, the NPR podcast, um, a fair amount. Um, there's one I've just started listening to another Mule podcast called This Is Actually Happening. It's an interview with somebody, you know, something, something really sort of life changing has happened. So, it, and, you know, an interview with somebody who's you know, after many years of marriage, what happened when her dad said he was gay or what happened when you leave the guy you've been with for years, you know, something like that. It's like a pivotal point in somebody's life. Um, I listened to a bunch of like BBC podcasts. Like I like, I like woman's hour and not surprisingly, that was kind of my inspiration for my show. And there's a show called word of mouth from the BBC, which is about language. And I'm really interested in kind of language and the way we use language. So that is something. Freakonomics, I do, I do like a bit of Freakonomics. Um, there's, uh, oh, there's a show called, um, um, I should say this because I work in the same shared space as this guy called Blank on Blank. Have you ever come across that? No, that's I don't another, think it's a shorty. And again, it is produced. It's, it's, it's a good idea. He, he gets journalists to, to, to let him know if they have like old interview tape of some really interesting interviewee. So say you interviewed somebody famous 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Do you still have some of that tape left over? And then they send in the tape and he, he crafts a little podcast out of it with him coming, kind of coming in with narration. So they've had people like Jack Black, Farrah Fawcett, um, Barry White, Grace Kelly. I mean, they've had all sorts of, it's like leftover tape that sort of never necessarily made it into the print interview that gets crafted into this little podcast. Um, And so it's just sort of quirky and fun and it's short. And and now it's turned into a really um, interesting animated series. So now it gets tens of thousands of views on YouTube because PBS um, caught sight of it and decided they would like to pay to animate these little podcasts. So now it's a sort of animated series as well, which is really cool um, for David Gerlach, who hosts it. Um, sometimes I listen to the uh, Dan Savage's um, sex podcast, Savage Lovecast. I must admit I'm a bit behind on that. 
Um, there's another female-hosted podcast called Destination DIY, which is basically about creating things, and that comes from a woman called Julie Sabatier out of Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Portland. I hope it's Portland and not Seattle. I'm pretty sure it's Portland. <laughs> <laughs> so there are there are various more, but those are the ones. Um, you know, the, some of them, some of the I would say 15 or 16 that I tune into every week. Yeah, well, that's a good list and and a good variety too of, uh, of themes. Yeah, possibly new stuff too for folks who maybe aren't. Um, I think. Just about everybody I've I've interviewed has has mentioned um, this American life in in some yeah. capacity, <laughs> and so it's it's kind of funny. I should have maybe I'll go back at some point and sort of build a tally of uh, popular podcasts that podcasters okay. mentioned. But um, but no, there's some good good variety in there too. Um, what what where do you typically listen? You, you mentioned you don't drive a lot or at all, yeah. <laughs> so no. What are you listening to, and what app do you listen to it on if you're so I usually listen, like sometimes when I'm walking, you know, I do a lot of walking in New York. So walking to and from the subway, sometimes I'm still listening on the subway, although I find the subway gets really loud. So I'll have to either pause it or turn it way up and still the roar of a train will obliterate the words coming out of somebody's mouth. So subway, not the best place, but I do end up listening to them on the subway. So for me, it's actually, it's run, it's doing errands. It's going to the gym. It's at the gym. It's even just doing stuff in my apartment, like boring, boring things like laundry or dishes. I'll listen to a podcast when I'm doing that. Um, and sometimes if I'm like, if I'm traveling on a bus or a train to get somewhere, which I'd probably do more than most people, um, because of where I live and not having a car again, that's when I listen. Um, and I list, so I actually, until recently I had my little iPod nano that I got several years ago. And the reason I have this, I, I really like this device is because of course I'm a radio freak and it has an FM radio on it. So I still use my, my nano a lot to listen to podcasts as well as the radio, but actually, um, I just got an iPhone last year and of course I have, um, I have the podcast app. So now I'm actually listening to some of them on my phone and some of them on my iPod nano. Nice. I think that's speaking of previous guests. I think you're the first nano listener on record that I I can recall, really? anyways, for, for what, whatever that's worth. But <laughs> well, it's tiny, it's small, and it. And I was asked by my then boyfriend, "Do you what kind do you want?" And he said, "This one has a radio on it." And he knew I was nuts about radio, so I said, "I want the one with the radio." <laughs> and so that's why I have a nano. There you go. And maybe now they all come with radios. I've no idea. But um, and I find my iPhone runs out of juice so quickly that I can actually, I'm much likelier to still have some juice on my iPod than my phone. So I, I do often end up listening to them on the iPod. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I've noticed, I know my wife too, she has an iPad mini that she listens to, you know, when she's doing other stuff. And and uh, it, I guess, I mean, it seems obvious, I guess maybe playing audio, you're using the speaker and as well as processing stuff. And so that's why it drains. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a bad idea if you're doing a lot of podcast listening to just have a dedicated device like a Nano or a Shuffle even, I guess. I think they can play podcasts. Exactly. And then you're not, you know, if that dies, you're not worried about still being able to communicate with the world outside. Right. So, yeah. But interesting. All right. Well, I think that's that's an hour and uh, I won't be editing it down to three minutes or five, <laughs> 15 or <laughs> <laughs> this time <laughs> as much as i i would love to <laughs> try someday uh, i'll i'll try that but uh uh where can folks uh find you and follow you on the on the internet ashley 
Oh, so, well, the website for the show is just thebroadexperience.com. And then there's also, I have a website, ashleymilntight.com, without the hyphen. Might have to might have to check your site to work out how to spell that. Um, <laughs> and then on Twitter, again, my name is just ashleymilntight, without the hyphen. Bit of a mouthful, but I, I wasn't clever enough to think of a kind of funky Twitter handle. <laughs> so, uh, and then, you know, the show has a Facebook page as well. The Broad Experience has a Facebook page. So... Uh, I bet it's all. How do you know if all your all your listeners guys? I'm really curious. I bet they are, aren't they? I don't. I mean, I don't know. I've never done a, a <laughs> survey. I would. I would imagine. You know, given what like Probably what we talked. Yeah, in in podcasting, I am not all guys. I don't think, but uh, right. So, and actually, in 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 light of what we were talking about earlier, I am. If there is female uh, women podcasters out there who are listening to this show. Because maybe you listen to the broad experience um, or any other podcast for that matter, but <laughs> you're doing podcasting. I am uh, looking for more women to talk about podcasting with. So if you hit up sskTN.com/contact, uh, fill out the form and let me know. Or on Twitter, I'm iChris on Twitter. Um, I'd love to connect with you and, and uh, get a conversation going about setting up a time. Actually, next week I have uh, Nicole Spag. I think is how you say her last name. I, I, <laughs> I should I, I I joked with Anna when she was on uh, that I think I'm going to stop having people on who have difficult last names to spell <laughs> to pronounce, <laughs> and then here I go and do it to myself. But anyways, uh, she's in a video game uh, parenting podcast realm, I guess. And either that this is what's fun about podcasting and the web in general, obviously, is either that name will be really familiar to you, or you have no idea who she is, and and you'll find out more about her next next week on the show. But uh, so yeah, there is. Um, I was looking through the roster of, of folks that I've chatted with, and it's probably off the top of my head, you know, four or five of the 37 shows have been with women. And so definitely want to bring that number up in terms of parody. Um, and so. Well, I can probably help. I can, I can actually think of a female podcaster in Australia who'd be, who'd be good for you to talk to. Perfect. I have a brother-in-law in Australia that I want to go visit. So I'll, <laughs> no, I wish I had the budget for that. Uh, but no, yeah, that would be good. I'll, I'll get you. As long as you can, yeah. As with, she does She does all her interviews on Skype. So yeah. it's just a question of getting the timing right. Yeah, just no, I do a show with my brother-in-law. He's over in Byron Bay area anyways. And so we have to always coordinate times and stuff, but can certainly work that out. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Ashley, for, for coming on the show. And Thank uh, you for having me. Thank you to you folks who are listening out there. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm iChris on Twitter. You can follow SSKTN on Twitter at SSKTN. And of course, the website, SSKTN.com. Um, if you, you may be aware, but uh, some friends and I are building a new site for podcasts that this show and a few others will be moving to in the near future, goodstuff.fm. And uh, so you can follow that on Twitter, visit the website, sign up for the newsletter, that kind of stuff to be made aware when the site finally launches in March here, hopefully. Knock on wood, cross your fingers, all that kind of stuff. So thanks for listening. Have a great day.